Hi, welcome to the Inspire Church podcast. Thank you for tuning in. But before you listen to the message, we want to celebrate that we have met our match. We were granted a matching grant, and in a month and a half, we made it. So thank you, friends and family, for your generosity. We are eternally grateful. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, if you're here for the very first time, I'd like to welcome you. My name is Philip Muella. I'm the lead pastor here at Inspire Church. Uh, this is a hotel, but on Sundays, it's where the people of God gather, amen, and so we call it church, and so uh, welcome to this gathering this morning. Um, we are going to, uh, we've been in a series now for the past handful of weeks that we've entitled Gifted, because we believe that everyone is gifted. Uh, if you were made in the image of God, you have been gifted. Uh, But we also believe that those who have said yes, who have put their faith in Jesus Christ, have also been empowered by the Holy Spirit with unique gifts. And uh, we've just been going through, uh, Pastor Andy two weeks ago, I think did an incredible job talking about teaching and shepherding. So Pastor Andy, um, while I was away, um, held that down. And then Roger last week did such a phenomenal job um, talking about the gifts of administration and leadership and service. And and so um, now we are going to get into kind of some of the more interesting gifts. And I'll tell you a little bit. I'll tell you why it's interesting. Well, you'll guess why it's interesting pretty shortly. But let me ask you a question. Have you ever been visit a church that freaked you out. <laughs> it's okay to laugh, like, or not. Um, how about this? Or have you ever felt too embarrassed to invite a friend to church? Right? And, you know, there might be many different reasons that you're afraid to, right? But, but, but I've seen some wild stuff in my, in my day. Uh, um, so let me just kind of explain some of the things that I've seen um, I've seen people barking like dogs in church services um, and then speaking in unintelligible languages. I've seen people slurring their speech, losing their balance, and, um, and, and saying that they were drunk in the spirit. Are you familiar with that? Some of you are like, wait, what church did you go to? <laughs> or what churches have you been to? Um, I've seen people fall on the floor shaking uncontrollably uh, to the point where you think they might be having a seizure. In reality, they were, they were experiencing something unexplainable to them. Uh, and uh, one, of, one of the most bizarre things I've ever seen um, was a service in which people were shooting each other with imaginary laser, laser beams. <laughs> and... Uh, And it got even a little bit more bizarre because the people they were shooting would get shot with this imaginal, you know, this laser beam. And then they would start like uncontrollably laughing. And so, you know, people are looking back and forth. And this is in a church service. Now, there's a wide range of people in here. Some of you have experienced this. Some of you have never experienced this. Some of you maybe have seen it like on YouTube or something. And... In the midst of all this, we can't help but ask ourselves, is this, is this what God intended? Um, or, or is it possible that people go too far? So in the next few weeks, as we dive into some of the more mysterious gifts of the Holy Spirit, um, I hope to show you how God is both a God of wonder and a God of order. 
I'm glad I got one person that said yeah. God is both a God of wonder and a God of order. Thank you. So, so that, so that those who have been gifted in this way can feel confident in moving in their gift. And so that those who, who maybe want these gifts can pray for them. And so those who are critical and judgmental of these gifts will maybe stop dismissing them completely. Are you with me? Now, let me just say this. Some of the more bizarre things that I mentioned, I'm, I'm not a fan of many of those things. But as we begin to talk about some of the more mysterious gifts, I think it's important to be biblically minded, right? We want the Bible to govern our thoughts. Um, And we want to make sure that we live in the tension that God is both a God of wonder and mystery, but he's also a God of order and not a God of confusion. And you have to live spirit-led in that tension. And too many churches lean one side or the other, and Jesus Christ and his gospel, are you with me, gets lost. And you make it all about what it's not supposed to be about. All of the gifts are about the building up, the edification of the body so that we may know Christ and make him known. And so the gospel becomes our anchor so that we don't get lost in these worlds. Are you with me? And so with that being said, let's pray. Because this morning, we are going to talk about the gift of tongues and the interpretation of tongues. Um, Let me say this. I wrestled with preaching about this on a Sunday because this feels like insider baseball. You know what I mean? What I mean by that is if you're in this room and you've never been to church, and we are a church that wants to be open to not just us four and no more. If you're in this place, you've never been to church, you've never heard of these things, this can really feel like, oh, they're just talking to their little tribe. I have no idea. So I struggled if this was even the right topic to even speak about on a Sunday morning in which believers, unbelievers, atheists, skeptics, and seekers might be in the room. But nonetheless, I'm going to do my best to break this down in a way that I feel like it'll be edifying to everybody. And if maybe you're on the outside looking in, at the very least, you'll be able to kind of hear us work through some of the things that we need to work through that's in Scripture because we don't avoid what's in Scripture. Amen? Is that okay? Okay, so can we pray? And then we will dive into the, this morning's theme. Heavenly Father, you are a good, good Father like we sung this morning. Uh, and you're a good Father because you give good gifts. Um, And the best gift, the greatest gift that you gave to us was your son, Jesus, who stepped down from glory, who put on human flesh, who walked this earth perfectly righteous and then died an undeserving death and then rose from the grave so that all in this room who would believe and trust in Christ would receive salvation, forgiveness, connection back to you God and most importantly a future hope and glory a future that is beyond the grave that is beyond sin and so Lord this morning as we dive into these gifts 
may your son still be glorified. He alone is worthy of it all. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to spend our time together discussing uh, the origin, the distinction, the function, and the practice of the gift of tongues and the interpretation of tongues. And if there's time, we'll conclude with a gospel principle. Um, And so we're going to talk about the origin, the distinction, the function, and the practice of the gift of tongues and the interpretation of tongues. Again, I recognize there are going to be some folks in here who are Christian who agree with me. Some of you might disagree with me. And then there are going to be folks that aren't Christians that are just here like, oh, man, I'm hearing this all for the first time. And so uh, pray with me as I navigate through this. And, um, and as usual, I'm always really careful as a pastor to just open up my emails, you know, uh, um, uh, but nonetheless, I'm always available if somebody would like to go through the text and go through the scripture together and, um, and get some clear explanation on some things. Amen. Amen. So we are talking about, again, the gift of tongues and the interpretation of tongues. Um, let's talk about the origin just for a brief moment, um, One of the very first places that you'll see the phenomena of tongues, and I'll talk about a little bit more what that even is, but one of the very first places you're going to see this is on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. So Jesus Christ has risen from the grave. Uh, He's uh, showed himself to be alive and risen to his disciples. He's appeared to them for many days, teaching them about the kingdom of God. And then he ascends into heaven and he tells his disciples to wait before they go out to wait for the power of the Holy Spirit. And what happens in Acts 2 is that on this particular day of the story, Jerusalem is swelling with Jews from all over the Roman Empire. And so what they do is they, they kind of travel back for certain holidays and certain feasts because they've been spread out throughout the empire. And so during this day in particular, there, uh, Jerusalem is overflowing with people in the city that are from throughout the Roman Empire. So they speak different languages, different dialects, though they're all Jews. And on that day, uh, the disciples are gathered. They're kind of huddled together, 120 of them in what we we know as the upper room, right? This small room on top of a building. And, and what we're told is that as they were praying, as they were united together, that the Holy Spirit of God fell upon them. And the Bible describes that they were being filled with the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit was filling them. And what began to happen is they began to speak in tongues. They began to speak in tongues. And as they began to speak in tongues, all of those kind of from around the Roman Empire, the Jews, that kind of swelled in the city. Some of them were around this, were kind of hearing this spectacle taking place. And, and what the Bible tells us is that people started to hear these disciples speaking in other human languages. They started to hear their own language and their own dialect. And, and, they, and the Bible describes them, they were hearing them say in their own languages praises to God. And, and, and some of them thought they were drunk, so we know it was a little wild, right? But others began to say, well, wait a minute. These are unlearned individuals. They haven't been trained. They're speaking a tongue, a different language that they've never learned before. So they're not bilingual. They literally don't even know what they're saying. But the on-hears, the onlookers are saying, wait a minute. They're speaking in our language. Are you with me? 
Now, I, I don't have time to get too deep into this, but I just want to say this. It was a really symbolic moment. It was the birthing of the church. See, Jesus was in heaven now, and it was time for his disciples to take the gospel to the world. And so this was really symbolic because what it meant was the kingdom of God was breaking out of Jerusalem. And what it meant was the gospel of Jesus Christ was pulling down ethnic barriers and walls. And that from now on, people wouldn't have to travel to Israel to meet God in his temple, but that the people of God would disperse and scatter and the gospel would be spoken to every tribe, every nation, every tongue. Are you with me? And so what a beautiful, beautiful story. But that is where we first see this idea of this spirit-enabled, spirit-empowered ability to speak in other languages that, have, that are unlearned by the person speaking to them. Everybody okay with me? Are we weird yet or are you okay? Kind of weird, but <clears throat> stick with me, okay? So, so what I want to do is from that Acts 2 framework, then I want to move into Paul as we've been studying the past couple of weeks Paul has been giving us a list of spiritual gifts. And if you want to go back and listen to our podcast or go to our YouTube or follow us, you can, um, and you can kind of catch up. But he's been giving us a list of spiritual gifts. And in this list, guess what? We find Paul mentioning the gift of tongues and the interpretation of tongues among this list. And he gives us this list in 1 Corinthians 12, verse 10, if you're taking notes. And then later on in verse 28. And so what I want to do is we're going to jump around just a little bit. I'm going to do my best to make sure that I'm clear. But I'd just like to show you what Paul says specifically in 1 Corinthians 12, 28. Now, I would totally encourage you to take notes so you can go back and look for yourself or uh, circle back to our podcast this week um, because, again, we might go fast today, but the good news is it's all going to be online, um, especially those who are really interested in trying to grasp and understand. And so what I want to do is I want to I show you a space where Paul names tongues in the list of spiritual gifts. Am I doing okay? Hopefully I'm okay. All right. And so here it is, 1 Corinthians 12, 28. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, right? We've seen that before. Second prophets. We'll talk about prophecy in a couple of weeks, actually. Third teachers. Pastor Andy spoke about that. Then miracles. Then gifts of healing. I spoke about that in, gift, uh, in week three. And then helping and administrating. You see that? Pastor Roger spoke that last week. And then finally, what do we see? Various kinds of what? Tongues. Now, I want to move from origin in Acts 2 to distinction here. And I'm going to do my best to work this out because this is going to be a little controversial. And we love a little controversy here at Inspire. Amen? Amen. Well, at least I do. Now, I believe some distinctions need to be made. And hopefully, as I process through this, you'll understand. So we see the phrase various kinds. And that, that phrase, various kinds, is subject to a lot of debate in the church. And I want to remind you, both people who are debating are Jesus-loving, Christ-following, gospel-centered individuals. Right? So I want you to know there are some denominations that believe that if you don't speak in tongues, you are not saved. That's false. That is a work. If you were saved by your tongue, then Jesus would not need to die on the cross. Okay, and so um, um, I want you to know that if you don't speak in tongues, it doesn't mean that you're not saved. That's a lie, and 
I'll debate with whoever wants to debate with that because if it was about tongues, then why would the cross be necessary? Moving forward, um, but there is some debate with regards to what various kinds means. Are you guys okay? I'm going to keep checking in, so I'm going to need you to talk back to me so I know. Now, there are those who take it to mean various human dialects and languages, like we saw in the book of Acts. While there are others that translate various kinds to mean a variety of species of tongues, right? Or categories of tongues. With human languages being a kind of species, but there being other species of tongues. Are you with me there? Okay. Now, I happen to agree with the latter. I believe that when Paul says various kinds of tongues, he's not just saying different tongues spoken in different human languages. I believe that he's talking about human languages, but I also believe that there are also other species of tongues. And we'll break that down in a moment, okay? Because I'm making a jump there. <laughs> are you with me? Uh, but I, what I want to do, though, is at least give you up front the categories of tongues that I believe mean various kinds. Or I want to give you the categories of species that I believe the Bible um, backs up. And here, here's what they are, okay? And uh, if you're taking notes, Sam Storms, he's a theologian and a pastor, wrote an incredible book. I would also, sometimes you can't take notes and you just want to reach out to me. I've had a few people reach out to me in the past few weeks, and I'm happy to send them my notes or send you some of my resources. So please feel free to come up. Feel free to let me know. Email inspiredchurches at gmail.com. We will get back to you. Everybody good? Again, this is one of those sermons where I want to be clear, and if I'm not clear, I want to make sure you know you have an opportunity to reach out so that we can respond, okay? Okay. Thank you. So categories of tongues, what I am suggesting biblically is not just human tongues or human languages, but also languages that are not human. You might be saying, okay, this is where it's getting weird, Pastor Phil. And I would say, well, you probably believe in aliens, so let's talk. Um, <laughs> So, you know, I, you know, just don't be judgmental in this room because some of you throw Christians under the bus and the stuff you're listening to, like Joe Rogan and all this other stuff, like, yeah, you're a little out there too. Let's say, you know, maybe we won't agree that we believe the same, but let's agree we're both a little out there. Okay. All right. Sounds like a real easy, okay, I got to keep going. My time is ticking. So number one is human languages. Like what is one category of tongues that I believe your pastor here at Inspire, which may be important for you to know. Um, number one, I believe that this could include human languages, right? I, this is what was experienced in the book of Acts. It's the Holy Spirit enabling someone to speak another human language unknown to them. So we're not talking about someone who's bilingual. We're telling somebody who doesn't speak the language suddenly begins to speak in a language that they've never learned. That's why it's supernatural. Otherwise, it wouldn't be really supernatural. Okay. So that when you're speaking, and I said this already, uh, 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 they're not, they, they, don't, um, they don't even know what they're saying. <laughs> you see? They don't know what they're saying, but they have no idea what they are speaking, but that they actually are speaking in another human language. Okay? Um. Let me give you an illustration. During some time of research and study, um, I came across a story of a woman who uh, frequently visited local hospitals. That, that was just what she felt like was a ministry and a mission that God put on her heart. And I say this, I love mission because mission has more to do with what you're doing when you leave the church than in the church. And so she is just believes in her heart that she was called to visit hospitals 
She's retired, had extra time, and she goes to hospitals, and she just asks folks if they can speak words of prayer, speak words of encouragement, just a beautiful thing that she does. Um, One day, she tells a story that she was drawn to a man who looked really down and distraught um, and depressed. And as she began to speak with him, she realized he didn't speak English. So, like a bold uh, mama in the faith, she began to pray. And she began to speak in tongues. And as she began to speak in tongues, the man's countenance began to change. And he began to sit up and he began to smile. And to her surprise, the tongue that she was giving to her prayer was Canary Island Spanish, which is really interesting. It wasn't just Spanish, but it was a particular dialect of Spanish. And the man heard her speaking in his language and they immediately changed his demeanor. Now, eventually she would find out that she was speaking Spanish. And so she would actually go and find friends who spoke Spanish to bring them back to this man in order to tell him more about Jesus. Because while she was praying, she was praising God in his language. And of course, this opened up the door for this man to hear the gospel. Are you with me? Like this is not a spectacle just to be a circus. There is a purpose and a reason here so that the gospel of Jesus Christ would be spoken. Are you with me? Stories like this uh, are not as rare as you think. Um, Talk to anyone who's been on the mission field, who's worked with missionary organizations. And Lori, you're here. I'm sure you. There are many, many stories of missionaries entering into unreached places and not understanding the language. But during prayer, given the supernatural ability to communicate in a tongue. And usually it opens up the door. Right. Because what happens is if we want if we if we want to if we want to be missionaries and not colonizers. Right. Then then we, we don't bring people to us or expect them to learn us. We have to enter in. The Holy Spirit knows this. So those of you who are like, no, the church is just none of the Holy Spirit's been doing this a lot longer than you think. Right. The idea is that in speaking in this indigenous language and then raising up indigenous leaders so that they can reach their people. It's not just about you going and being a power ranger. I just saw Maybe I think I saw that in a meme. And, you know, it's not just yeah, right, we're going to go over and take over. God's already there. Anyway, I can go off on a total side note there, but I need to get back into this. OK. Uh, but but this is one category or one species of tongue that I think most people will agree with because we saw it in Acts 2, right? Someone who, who doesn't know the language suddenly being enabled by the Spirit to speak the language for the sake of the gospel. Are you all okay? But this is where many believers will stop. And then the next two categories, this is where many believers at the very least will find controversial and at the very most, some will call it demonic. Okay? I obviously disagree. Um, and let me tell you why. So look, can I, I'm going to share a, a second species or category that I believe falls under the idea of Paul's various tongues. Are you guys good? Okay. Second is we move from human languages to angelic languages. Okay. 
Now let me just, again, am I going to be able to just break it all down? For, no, we'd, we'd have to take like an hour here in this point. So give me a little, if you want to meet later, we can. But give me a little yeah. leash here. In Revelation 5.11, the Apostle John witnesses what he describes as, and we'll put it up for you on the screen, the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. Do we have that? That might be on the next slide. <clears throat> Try the next one. <clears throat> there it is. Uh, the voice of many angels numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands. You see that? Okay. Now we'll just leave that up there for a minute. Given these overwhelming numbers of angels and given the reality that we're told in other places in scriptures that, you know, there are angelic ranks. There are different kinds of angels. Right, it seems reasonable to believe that it is possible that there are many different angelic dialects and languages. Now, this might not be convincing to some, but Paul does say in 1 Corinthians 13, 1, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but I don't have love, I am a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Now, I want you to know the context of 1 Corinthians 13 is love. The idea is that some of you talk too much and you need to learn to love. So just because you're gifted doesn't mean that your fruit of the spirit is more important than your gift. Y'all with me? Okay. But he does say, which would indicate there's a little bit of an insight regarding the potential for speaking in an angelic tongue. Are you with me? You doing okay? Okay. Number three, another species of tongue. And I'm not a huge fan of categorizing it this way because I think in some ways the spirit is enabling all of these. But we're just for the sake of categories. You have human languages. You have angelic languages. And then number three would be what we call a heavenly language. Right? Or some people call it like a, a personal prayer language. And this is perhaps the most common species of tongues in the Pentecostal movement. Some of you are Pentecostals in this room. Some of you are not. But I love that we live in the tension here at Inspire. Amen? Yeah. I mean, if we can't get together here, heaven's going to be not very fun. Okay? Because y'all both are going to be there. Some of you are like, well, I don't know. <laughs> well, in that case, this might not be the church for you. Anyway. <clears throat> What, what is a heaven language? This is a spirit-enabled ability to speak in a non-human language that is unique to the individual speaking and to God. Got it? So nobody speaks this language but you to God. Not an angelic language because angels speak in those. Not another human language but a, a private language between you and God. Y'all with me on that? Again, I've heard it called a private prayer language. It's I believe, okay, I'm using that word I believe, you with me? I believe that this, is, this was the kind of tongue Paul was referring to when he was correcting the overly gifted, hyperactive Corinthian church. The Corinthian church had all kinds of gifts, but they were wild. They were doing too much. And so Paul comes in and says, I love that y'all got all kinds of gifts, but you guys need to have some order, Right? And if there was an embarrassing church, Corinth might have been that. Like, there's a church like, yeah, I might not. We might skip this Sunday. I'm not going to invite my friend. We might have to go to that church. You know what I mean? Like Corinth might have been that church. 
So, so let's dive into that. And here's what I'd love to challenge you. If you want to go into the scriptures this week, go into 1 Corinthians 14 and read through the first maybe 30 verses of 1 Corinthians 14 this week to take a deeper dive for yourself. But look at what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 14 verse 2, okay? And, and here it is. For one who speaks in a tongue, are you ready? First thing, for the one who speaks in a tongue, what does it say? Speaks not to men, but to God. And then he goes on to say, for what? No one understands him, but what does he do? He utters mysteries in the spirit. You see that? So what, why, I, here's why I believe in different species of tongues. And, and here's why I believe that Paul in this is about to talk about what I would consider a private heavenly language between you and God, not necessarily an angelic language or a human language. Here's why. Look, look at verse 2a, and we'll just keep this up here. Kat, you're doing a great job. We'll just keep this up here so they can see. Verse 2a uh, says this. The first part of verse 2 says, this is not to what? Men, but to who? God. So if it's not for men, then it must not be a human language. That's, that's the point that I'm making. This, the, the goal of this tongue is not for men, but it's to who? God. If it was for men, then it might, might have been a, a different human language. Okay. Again, we can go through this, and some people will differ. I get it, but I'm just letting you know. To be, the second part. And then he goes on to say, no one understands. Right? And, and what's really interesting is, as I was reading commentary, we realized that Corinth was a port town. What's a, what does that even mean? It means that it was multi-ethnic. So it would not have been uncommon for multiple languages to be represented in the church. Paul would have known this. So for him to talk about a kind of tongue that no one understands suggests that this was most likely a non-human language because maybe somebody might have been in there from a different place that could actually understand it. But he's saying this is not for men. This is for God. And then he's saying nobody understands it. Right? And then the final thing is he utters mysteries in the spirit. Now, mysteries in the New Testament you use for different things. But in this context, I take mystery to mean unknown, incomprehensible utterances only made known if there is an interpretation. Okay? That brings up another point. Well, we'll talk about that in a moment. So can we pause here? Are you okay? I'm, I'm really heady today. Okay. A word of caution to the overly crit critical spirit in the room. Because <laughs> I am one of them. I am. You want to meet someone who can be a little critical? Hang out with me for a little bit. I've heard some Christians refer to this phenomenon as gibberish. Or even demonic. And I would just say pause, okay? I would just say hold up for a minute. Just because the language is unintelligible to both the speaker and hearer doesn't mean that it doesn't carry value or weight. Listen, be careful not to dismiss it just because you don't get it. Listen, it may not mean something to you, but according to Paul in verse 2, it means and matters something to God. You see that? What does it say? It, not to men, but to who? This is to God. And so it's not for you. So before you dismiss it and call it bam, babbling and rambling and demon, whatever you want to go, I would be careful. I'd be humble. I'd hold your 
position a little bit more loosely and humbly. I'm open to correction as well. Because this ain't about you. This is about God. That says it right there. Okay? Y'all with me? And then what Paul will go on to say further, when this tongue is being expressed, verse 4 in chapter 14 tells us that it actually serves the one who's speaking it. It builds them up. Scripture says it edifies their spirit. They don't even know what they're saying, but something is happening to them. So they're talking to God, and, and their, their spirit is being edified. Don't get in the way of my personal edification. You know what I mean? Let me have my edification, okay? Now, word to the wise. Don't be so puffed up in knowledge. Did you know that? Yeah, it can happen in the scripture. You can be so full of biblical knowledge that you leave no room for mystery. Okay? You always have to leave room for the mystery. Some water, some plant, but only the spirit brings what? Increase. You, you just, you know, you, you can write books about planting the seeds of the gospel. Evangelize. You can write books about watering the seeds, but you can't determine how it grows. Amen? That's a mystery. And we have to leave room for the Holy Spirit power to work. It's a tough tension to live in. Amen? Don't allow pride and intellect to become a stumbling block for your edification. We're going to move on to the function. Okay? We're going to have a function. All right. Sorry. Based off of my understanding of scripture, and I'm going to say this, and my own experience, okay? Some of you are like, oh, there it is. It's experience. You're right. I've taught you well. Praise God. You never want to make your experience the governing factor. If your experience in the scriptures cross, then go with the scriptures. Amen? So you, we, we, but we shouldn't say, oh, experiences are nothing. We should take our experiences and have the scriptures judge them. Okay. So knowing that I am talking about some of my experiences, but also judging it according to the scripture, I want to describe to you, and I'm being careful, with what I think, <laughs> what I believe are the five functions of the gift of tongues. Okay? And if we haven't got weird yet, we're just going to get weirder. So here's my prayer for you during this time, is that if you have the gift, but you're holding it back, that you would start using it. Number two, if you don't have the gift but want it, that you would start earnestly praying for it. And number three, that you would at least stop dismissing it if you're maybe a little bit more suspicious. The very least say, okay, I may not go there, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to judge the character of the person, not the content of their words. Are you okay? Can we, can we be there together? Okay. So we're going to talk about the different functions, okay? Number one, first function is prayer. We saw that, we saw that in 14.2, right? We said this, the person who, who speaks in a tongue is not to man, but what? Talking to God. That's what prayer is, okay? Talking to God. Talking to God. So let me just drill down on this a little bit. Have you ever prayed and ran out of things to say? Right? Sometimes tongues can continue your intercession beyond your loss of words. Okay? Just going to say that. 
Thanks, Mom. And I love it. Beautiful. It was, uh, sorry, I didn't mean to, but I just, that was such a great, it just, yes, it is beautiful. How about this? Some of you probably didn't think about this. Are you tempted to be too wordy, too formulated, too sophisticated? Do you know sometimes Jesus chastised the Gentiles because they believe that they're sophisticated words, their rhythms, right? Their formula, formulas was how they were. You ever heard someone praying like, man, like they used Great, high words. And I'm not saying to judge them. I'm just saying, have you ever been tempted to judge how good your prayers are based off of your, like, vernacular? Sometimes tongues can be a way of returning back to simplicity and childlike faith. So if you feel like you're being too wordy, if you feel like you're being too lofty, if you feel yourself tempted to be too sophisticated and formulated, tongues might be a great way to break up the monotony of that and bring you back to childlike Simplicity. Now, some even associate Paul's description of a kind of prayer in Romans 8, 26 through 28, like with a deep intercession of tongues. I'm going to show you what it says. It says this. Paul says this. Likewise, the spirit helps us in our weakness, right? We are weak. How are we weak? For we do not know what to pray as we ought. But the spirit intercedes for us with groaning too deep for words. Okay, so I'm going to leave that up here and give you a little story time. The word groaning means to sigh or groan as if one who is in labor. So it's associated with pain and birth. Fascinating. So there's a sense of suffering and birthing connected to it. Are you with me? Now, I'm not certain, okay? I'm just giving you up front. I'm not certain. I'd categorize this as a tongue. But there is a very close association with the two as both have been described as a kind of praying in the spirit. A praying in the spirit. Now, I've experienced this personally just once in my life. Just once. Um... It was, it was on a Sunday night, and I had just accepted the role of youth director at, one of the, at my previous church. And as I began to pray and think about the youth God was calling me to reach, I suddenly became overwhelmed with emotion. Now, I'm not a, a, a tearful guy. Okay? Like tear, I'm emotional, but tears aren't like my emotion. So I'm sure if many of you saw me crying, you would be like, oh, my gosh. Um, I, in that moment of prayer, became overwhelmed with emotion. I couldn't stand up. I collapsed to the ground. And I began to cry in a fetal position uncontrollably. I was in, you know, it wasn't like the Holy Spirit was like, rah, 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 you know, poo, poo, poo. I knew that my body was doing this. I wasn't fighting it, but I was just overwhelmed. Some of you sound like, that sounds like a nervous breakdown. (laughs) Similar in visual, but different in what's going on inside. No, 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 I'm serious. Similar in visual, but different. What's what's going down on the other side is uh, it's fearful and scary. I was in control here. As I was down, collapsed on the floor, crying uncontrollably, I knew exactly what was happening. Actually, in fact, while I was down there, I started to see faces of kids in the neighborhood. And I started to see faces of kids in our church. 
And I immediately, I was, and people are around me. Some of you actually were probably here. Ariel, you might have been there. Uh, there's a few of you that were in the youth at that time were surrounding me. And I was just so free. I was not embarrassed in that moment. Although if I were to do it now, it'd be, you know what I mean? Like it was, there was a freedom in it. It sounds embarrassing. And I was just letting it out, and I could care less. Just tears. And, and what happened was, it was like a deep wailing. And, and then even when I were to whisper, there was like tongues that would come out. Again, it wasn't like, oh, I can't say anything. It was just, that was how it was progressing. It only happened to me once. And it was when I, and I, and I got the sense, and I got the feeling that Jesus was preparing me for the ministry, that he was giving to me a burden, because you can minister with no burden. In fact, some of us in here are doing that right now. You don't know how, you just don't have a burden. So, so, so the priority of that ministry is not, but when the Lord gives you a burden, priority changes. I'm not saying you have to have a wailing moment, because I know how we are as humans. Well, don't got a burden for that. Looks like I'm not, you know, I'm just saying. And I, I, I put a little note here because some of you are, are, are think that prophecy is like working in the spirit. Some of you think that it's like spontaneous. No, not for me. It's always planned. I'm always in a note and I write like here. I think there's a prophetic word in this moment. So, so for th- those of you that love spontaneity, I'm sorry, but this was pre-planned. And I don't know if this is uber prophetic. To be honest, this is just an inclination um, because I know, I know, I just know this. And I think it's just natural to say that there are probably one to two people in this room that the Lord has been calling you to return back to that, but you've locked it down. Like you stopped wailing. You, you're either afraid, embarrassed, or you don't want to go there again. And actually the Holy Spirit wants to take you back there because that wailing and groaning of intercession is doing more than you think it is. And so listen, I can say this in general on 38 of you, I'm like, yeah, that's me. But, I, I, you know, if this is something that, you know, when something has heat on it, you know what I mean? Like, man, this is something I've been thinking about or wrestling with the last whatever, the Lord's been putting this heavy on my heart, then you know for sure, like, this is, that's for you, okay? Maybe it's for a family. Maybe you've stopped wailing for your children. You've given up. Maybe it's ministry. There was a zealousness for the burden and the call and the mission of God. Maybe it's your coworkers. Maybe it's your church. Maybe it's your pastor. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm going to call you back to that. Amen? Okay, let's go. Let's continue. Because I got to get it. <laughs> number four, or number two, <laughs> not number four, number two, praise. Praise. Okay, so we're talking about first is prayer. What are, the, what are the functions of a tongue? First is prayer. Second is praise. If you look at, again, chapter 14, verse 15, Paul describes tongues as a way that we sing with our spirit. He says it, verse 15. We sing with our spirit. Right? Uh, uh, the third element, we're going to go really fast, thanksgiving. You Praise and thanksgiving are similar, but, but I, I just distinctly said praise because there's a, there could be, there could be a singing in your tongue. But third is uh, thanksgiving. Um, verse 16 of chapter 14 adds that tongues can be a way to give thanks with our spirit. And Paul will make a distinction of giving thanks and singing with your mind and giving thanks and singing with your spirit. Obviously, with your mind, you understand. With your spirit, you don't know what you're saying. You're just giving up. All you know is you're praying, 
you're praising, you're thanking God. Amen? Amen. Okay. Number four, warfare. Um, after revealing the reality of invisible warfare, you know, Paul talks about that in Ephesians. He talks about demonic powers and principalities, right? Paul instructs believers, ready, to put on the full armor of God. Are you all with me? And then he'll go on to say in Ephesians 6, 18, he'll conclude praying at all times in the what? Spirit. So we have that in the spirit coming back up. In the spirit with all prayers and supplications. I want to say this. In times of intense spiritual warfare, right? Let me describe spiritual warfare. Maybe um, there's a difference between like a diagnosed anxiety. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about like an overwhelming anxiousness that's taking place that isn't like something that maybe you've been diagnosed with. Although there are some diagnoses that can be, but for the most part, we're talking about something that overcomes you, overwhelms you. You either feel intense pressure, intense anxiousness, intense fear, worry, like not your normative thing, like some sort of warfare. Are you with me? Or how about this? Even in moments, and this is my own personal experience, when I'm feeling really heavy temptation to sin, it's normal for me to begin to pray in the spirit and speak tongues in my mind. It's normal. It clears my head. It recenters me on Christ. Here's what I'm advocating. In times of intensified spiritual battle and moments of weakness, praying and praising in tongues has been an effective weapon in the arsenal of war. Y'all okay? I know it's getting a little weird. Remember when I asked you if you've ever felt too embarrassed to invite a friend to church? <laughs> Remember I asked you that? Have you ever felt too embarrassed to invite a friend to church? I don't want you to feel guilty about that because the Apostle Paul agrees with you. If you continue to read 1 Corinthians 14, 6, Paul calls the gift of tongues. Are you ready? Hear me out. This is important. Paul calls the gift of tongues useless in the public gathering. Oof. Why? Because tongues only edifies yourself. And when you're in a public gathering, guess what? It's about building each other up. Now, I'm going to get to when it can be used in a public gathering. I'm not saying, but I want you to know, for the most part, Paul says it needs to be governed. These gifts need to be governed. There needs to be order. Are you all with me? He'll go on to say in verse 23 of chapter 14, he'll warn the Corinthians that outsiders and unbelievers will conclude that you are out of your mind. And that tongues will become a hindrance to their salvation. This is not me. This is Paul. Paul is saying that. He even goes as far as to say in 1419, and we'll have it up for you. I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in tongues. He's saying, why would I do that? Because in a public worship gathering... It's better to speak intelligible words where everyone can understand and be edified than it is for you to speak your own private prayer language where no one's being edified but you. And if there's a newcomer, an outsider, a skeptic, or an unbeliever there, they might look and say, oh, my gosh, I don't want to come back. Y'all okay? So to those with the gift of tongues, we have to be careful not to make a spectacle of the gift. And we must learn to be more hospitable 
That's an important word to our guests. Are you okay? Unless, 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 unless the gift of tongues is met with the gift of interpretation. And this leads me to the fifth and final function, and you guys are doing great. Very proud of you guys. I love my church. Everyone's like, man, you go a long time in your sermon. I was like, I love my church. There. <laughs> um, number five is exhortation. Are you all with me? Exhortation. In the public gathering, that's right now, for worship, a tongue interpreted can be used to encourage, to urge, to judge, or to reveal God's will to hearers. It can edify the body when it, an unintelligible tongue is made intelligible. Y'all with me? Now, I'm going to say this. We don't really practice this at Inspire at all. But I've seen it practice, and I want to share it with you because I feel like in my previous spaces, I've actually seen this practice well. And I've even asked the Lord, is this a space that you want us to go? Right? So, I've experienced this practice. So many years ago, in my previous place of worship, there would be moments when the pastor um, would be speaking or there'd be a time of singing and it would be interrupted with someone speaking in tongues. And you know interruptions, right? And um, I, I would enjoy that because uh, the pastor would, or the individual who was up at the pulpit would shepherd that moment and discern if this was a worthy moment to pause because perhaps the Lord might be speaking. Are you with me? Yeah. And again, this didn't happen every Sunday, but it wasn't, it wasn't a non-existent thing. Are you with me? Now, typically, the congregation would quiet down. There was a culture of this. Congregation would cry down, and the pastor who was shepherding the moment would ask everyone to pray for an interpretation. There would be some time of prayer and silence, and then someone would bring an interpretation forth in English, and typically a praise, a scripture, or a call to repentance. And, and it was done well because, number one, they created a space for it to happen. Number two, and those who spoke and interpreted were known by the community. It wasn't just this random person coming in, but they had to be known and a part of the community. And they were affirmed by the, they were trusted, affirmed in their character by the leadership to be able to speak in that tongue and to be able to give up, give the interpretation. Are you with me? This might be a little too off for some of you, but Paul does say tongues can be spoken for the edification of the body where the gift of interpretation is. Are you with me? Now, here's the gospel principle. Paul was zealous to guard the public gathering. Are y'all with me? That's why he writes chapter 14. I want, you to, I want you to see this. The goal of the public worship gathering is to encounter God. Do you know that? Do you know that the goal of today's gathering is to encounter God? Makes you wonder like how many times you've been coming to church and not encountering God. And, and no wonder why it's rhythmic and routine. Rhythmic is great because rhythm is one of the words, but it can come very root and routine and you're just here. And I, I was 
really kind of looking through one of my favorite pastors and mentors from afar, Pastor Tim Keller, as you know, a lot of times I'll read his stuff or quote some of the things that he says. And he, has a, he does a really good job of unpacking this. Um, but there's knowing that the goal of the public worship gathering is to encounter God. It does two things. And I got to go quick here. It does two things. To all of you in this room who tend towards stuffy intellectualism, the goal of the gathering is not just head knowledge. Oh, it might be most of you. <laughs> Nobody said amen, so maybe you're all just stuffy head knowledge, folks. The goal of the gathering is not a lecture, a class. Now, that can be part of the gathering. Paul talks about knowledge. In fact, that's a big part. It's why we don't speak in tongues out loud unless we have some edification because it needs to be intelligible things. We're breaking down the scriptures. That could be part, but that's not the goal. Are you with me? And likewise, to all of you who tend towards expressive emotionalism, the goal of the gathering is not just about spontaneity and impulse. It's not just about sensuality. When I say sensuality, it means the senses. The goal of the gathering is outlined in 1 Corinthians 14, 24 through 25. That the body would be what? Built up. That the secrets of the heart would be revealed. I'm not saying everyone's telling your business. But I am saying is that when you hear the word of God that you begin to say, man, God, how did you know that? Yeah. You ever sat in somewhere and felt like, man, who told that pastor that? Are you talking, have you ever been there? And so the goal of the worship gathering, right, is the body be edified, built up, learn, grow, increase in knowledge, understand the scriptures, but also in your heart, man, God, you're doing something. You're saying something. You're there. You've been there. You've always been here. How do you know this about me? You hear that? Yeah. Build up. Uh, 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 expose the secrets of the heart, reveal them, so that we would experience conviction, that the goal of the gathering would bring repentance, sorrow over your sin, joy over the Savior's life, death, and resurrection. Are you with me? And, and then Paul would say, especially for the outsiders, that they would, falling on our face, we would worship God and declare that God is really among us. You see that? So that's not intellectualism and it's not emotionalism. It's, it's this beautiful kind of, kind of beautiful to coming together. We don't always get it right for the sake of the glory of God and your good. That's the goal of the gathering. A pastor tells the story of his daughter bringing her friend to church. The young man was an unbeliever has come from Wales and he spoke Welsh and as the pastor spoke that night an elderly man in his congregation interrupted his sermon speaking in tongues can you believe that of course the pastor was frustrated by this disruption but as soon as the elderly man finished the unbelieving friend looked over to the pastor's daughter who brought him and said how come that man in my language, just told everybody my business. Wow. Wow. Some of you like, that's why I don't go to church, because I don't want anyone telling me my business. And of course, the daughter and eventually the pastor were caught off guard. As they began to explain to the young man, nobody knew what he was saying. And in fact, he didn't even know. So the pastor began to explain 
how it was the Holy Spirit using the gift of tongues in order to call him closer to an encounter with God. The pastor goes on to say that not only did that young man give his life to Jesus, but that young man eventually married his daughter. And so as we step into tongues and the interpretation of tongues and we move on to prophecy and discerning of spirits and these mysterious, wondrous things, we know that God is a God of order. But we also know that God is a God of encounter and that the goal isn't spectacle emotionalism. It's not heady intellectualism. It's this kind of beautiful, wondrous activity. God made us with emotions God made us with a mind. And, and, and the beauty of this process, an encountering with God so that you would leave this place declaring that God is here. That God has spoken to me. That I'm a sinner. But that I have a beautiful Savior who has saved me from sin, hell, death, and the grave and wants to raise me up to new life. To live on mission, going back to Acts 2 so that it's not just us four and no more, that we're living a life breaking barriers, looking beautiful, not just in the gathering, but in the scattering throughout the week. Are y'all with me? My final encouragement, then we're going to just have a simple opportunity to process and then we'll praise this. Number one, I want you to know there are no second rate Christians in the kingdom of God. Right? I used to hear people, there's no junior varsity Holy Spirit. Okay, you see here people say that. Your effectiveness in warfare and prayer is not determined by your mouth, but by your heart. So if you don't speak in a tongue, I don't want you to walk out of here thinking, man, I guess I just don't have the power. Because the minute you gave your life to Christ, and this is where I might differ with some folks in, in some of the uh, Assembly of God denominations, but the minute you gave your life to Christ, I believe you were empowered by the Spirit completely and fully in that moment. And you were gifted. And some folks were given tongues and interpretation of tongues, and they can use it in these ways. And some folks haven't moved in that gift or maybe are not going to move in that gift. Not all people will. Uh, and, and yet it doesn't mean you're second rate, you're less powerful, your warfare isn't there. Because it's not about your mouth, it's about your heart. But I am saying is a couple of things. Number one, if you do have it and you've quenched it, hopefully I've inspired you to begin to move again. Maybe ask yourself why. Wow. Number two, maybe you like this gift and maybe it's something that you want. Then I would say pray earnestly for it and let the Lord decide because you're gifted in so many other ways. And then number three, if you're critical or judgmental, I would just say pause. Hold that loosely. Yeah. Be a little bit more humble. Because God works not only through what we know and what we see, but what we don't know, what we don't see. We have to have mystery in our understanding who God is. We don't have them all figured out. God is a God of wonder and God is a God of order. Amen? My final prayer is this. If you have it, use it. If you want it, pray for it. If you judge it, humble yourself. And, and, and do as Paul does in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, 39. He says this, so my brothers earnestly desire to prophesy and do not what? Forbid in, uh, do not forbid tongues. In tongues was my fault. I made a mistake on that. 
Do not forbid tongues. Amen? Hey, we're almost finished. Would you just rise to your feet? We're just going to sing a, a worship song to the Lord here and just process for a moment. Um, and then I'll pray with you and, um, and we'll finish. Amen? Amen. Amen. I want to say this. Um, I also don't want to take away... When you come on Sunday, it doesn't mean you don't speak in tongues. Like if you're right here in your private time and you're praying and speaking in tongues, just want you to be aware. That's all. We want, you know, we want you to be hospitable to the guests. We want you to understand that Paul's instruction is to practice this in private. And if it's done in public, for there to be interpretation. But as you're worshiping and as you're praying, it's not uncommon in this place to hear somebody use a tongue. Um, and as long as those who are using the tongue are aware of what Paul says, because you are definitely, in, it, just like the stuffy intellectuals, the uh, uh, emotional kind of spectacle, we also have to be careful. Both of them need to be governed and guided. And so we're a church that lives in that tension. I'm proud to be living in that tension. And we don't always get it right. Sometimes we do. Um, but this is Inspire Church. And so uh, with that being said, I want to pray and then um, dismiss you. Heavenly Father, you are a good father. And because you're a good father, you give good gifts. And so we don't ever want to look at a gift that you've given it and call it bad. Because you only give good gifts. So I pray first and foremost to maybe those who have been moving in this gift. But for some reason, it has been shut down. For some reason, it has been quenched. It has been labeled maybe as bad or fearful. Lord, I just pray even this week that um, the folks would return to praying in the spirit. Folks would return to even wailing, uh, 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 falling to their face in tears, Lord. And it's not something we'll conjure up. Only you can do it, Lord. But I pray uh, for folks in this room maybe that don't have the gift, but as they were listening today, feel like they either want it that they would just pray earnestly. And then they would let you do what you do. And finally, I pray if there's any folks in here, maybe have, they have either seen abuses um, or they're very, very concerned with order. I, I respect that and I am the same. But I also pray, Lord, that they wouldn't dismiss uh, a gift, a good gift. Help us to be a church that lives in these tensions. Help us to be led by the Spirit. Help us to be governed by your word. And most importantly, help us to know that it's not about the gift, but it's about the giver. This is a gospel-centered church. And everything we say, do, believe, present is so that Christ will be glorified. So that we will look more like Christ. And so that the gospel, the good news of what he has done for us, yeah. Lord, would not just be limited to this room but would just spread all across Union City and the East Bay and beyond for your honor and your glory. And we give you all honor and praise, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Hey, thank you for tuning in. And if you'd like to continue to bless the ministry financially, please give at inspirechurches.com. Have a beautiful day.